All right, hey, do me a favor. Open your Bibles to John chapter 9. Progressing through the book of John chapter by chapter, and we had been sitting in John chapter 8 for a few weeks, but now we're in John chapter 9. And one thing that I have said multiple times in in this church and as preaching messages and something the Bible repeats over and over and over and you can't get away from it. And it's this, um, you're going to suffer in life. You're going to have pain. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through times that, that question what is going on. You know, we just see this, you know, Jesus tells us that in this world, you're going to have trouble. He doesn't shy away from it. You know, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that while you're in this body, you're going to groan and you're going to be burdened. And, and Paul, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. But yeah, let me ask you, are you ever surprised? We shouldn't be. But the reality is, I think sometimes we, when, when the trial does come upon us and we go through a time of suffering, we go through a time of pain, I think sometimes we are like, because um, sometimes we want to raise the banner of um, like, I'm special or something, and that shouldn't be happening to me. But the Bible makes it very clear. You know what? Um, we're going to go through very difficult times. We're going to go through times where we, we scratch our heads. We're going to suffer. We're going to experience pain. And um, that's where I want to go today is the title of my message is this. Our pain, God's glory. Because that is the ultimate, the ultimate end product. The glory to God. As a believer, your life is to bring glory to God. It's all about glory to God. And everybody says, amen. amen. It's all about glory to God. And guess what? Even in your pain, your trial, your suffering, in that pain, it can still be, how can this bring glory to God? And that's where we're going today. And we're going to see this as we progress through John chapter 9, the first 12 verses. So let's look at the first thing about our pain. Number one there on your outline, I would encourage you to take notes. But it's this, our pain isn't necessarily the result of something we did. When you're going through pain, when you're going through the trial, may not be necessarily something you did. And this is what we see here in John chapter 9. Starting with verse 1, it says, as he passed by. Now, remember, Jesus at the end of chapter 8. Now, we don't know if this is right off the tails of chapter 8 or if some time has passed. But you remember, at the end of John chapter 8, uh, Jesus had just been saying some really you know, powerful things. And he just equated himself as being with, as God. And they picked up stones to stone him. And it says that he got away. He, he left. So now we don't know if this is perhaps in that timeline or maybe some time has passed, but it says as he passed by, he, he and his disciples are just walking along, okay? And so they're walking along and they pass by and they, said, they saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was blind from birth? Now, first off, 
it's really interesting that the disciples were like, who sinned him that he was born blind at birth? I sit and go, guys, really? Why did you even ask that? I would ask maybe that his parents sin, but how could he who wasn't even born yet sin? Okay. Well, the reality is there was some weird teaching back then. Okay. And there was some teaching that believed that before you were born, you already kind of preexisted. And so the, 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 the disciples kind of had a warped theology a little bit. Okay, that's why Jesus had to teach them right theology because they grew up with some weird theology, but also another warped theology they they lived with and, and, and thought was anytime you were going through suffering, any illness, any sickness, any pain in your life, it was really only the result of your sin. You did something wrong. You've done something. You've sinned in such a way that this is happening to you. Okay? So it was the idea was, well, you better figure it out and fix the problem. You better repent. Because if you don't want to be sick any longer, quit sinning. That's where these guys were. And now here's why Jesus was the right teacher. Because look at him. Look at verse 3. And Jesus responds to these guys. And it says, and he answered them. It was not this man who sinned or his parents. And then Jesus is going to give us the reason, which will be in the next point. But he's like, neither him nor his parents sinned. This man was not born blind because his parents did something wrong and now he's being punished. This is such an important theological understanding and truth for you and me today. Because here's, I mean, we read that and maybe you're thinking, well, that's just, that's ridiculous. But I wonder how many, maybe how many of you, how many people have been taught this today? This is just not a problem with the disciples. I believe this is a problem with Christianity even today. That there is people who have learned, who have been taught anything you have going wrong in your life, it's because you have sinned. And you better find it. You better figure out what, you ha- what did you do wrong? How are you sinning? And if you'll repent of that sin, you won't be in this problem anymore. Okay? So you have people, I believe, in churches being taught, I, I must have cancer because I've sinned. So I better figure out what I've done wrong so I can be healed. I must have lost my job and we're having these financial problems because I've done something wrong. I sinned. What, what did I do to cause this? And God's punishing me now. My kids, they grew up in the church, but they've walked away from God. What did I do wrong? How did I sin that my kids now don't want to live for God? And I believe people beat themselves up because they were taught, if you're suffering, it's because you've sinned. It, it, they, it, we make this direct result, this direct correlation from suffering and sin. If, I've, if I'm suffering, if I'm going through something, it's because I'm sinning. It's because I'm doing something wrong and I, I better figure it out. So I better do a... Now, does it mean we don't evaluate our lives? Not at all. But a lot of people think, well, I better start doing... Better rewind the, rewind the film and start replaying everything. Where did I go wrong? Now... 
This is so important for you and I to understand. Your pain, as Jesus said, isn't necessarily because you are sinning. But let me put some balance in this, okay? We've got to be theologically correct here. Is there times, though, are there times in your life where sin does bring pain? Absolutely. This is what the fall of Adam and Eve is all about. They were living a very good life in the Garden of Eden. There was nothing wrong. They were perfect in every way. They had a perfect relationship with God. But the moment they chose to disobey God, the moment they chose to say, I don't want to do what God says, and they did their own thing, made their own decision, their own choice, and they sinned, pain and everything came into the world with it. And their sin has become a curse for all of us. And so here's the problem. We are just like Adam and Eve. And so we can do things, choices and decisions that are sinful. And it brings pain into your life and into the pain into other people's lives. You see, this is why God has given us his word. God has given us his word so we can come to know him and know his ways. He's given us his word so we can grow in the knowledge of the word. And guess what? Be wise in how you and I live in this life. He's given us his word so that way we would not be ignorant of going, well, I'm not quite sure what is sin and what is not, what is right, what is wrong. He's given us his word so that way when we live every day, we have truth to live by. But the problem comes is when we see the truth, we know God has given us his word, but we make a decision. I don't want to live by that. Or as Romans chapter 1 says, Romans chapter 1 says that um, we do not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. You see, that's, that's why so many of us do sin. We don't think it's worthwhile to follow what God's word says. We all have a better way. You know, that's why the Bible tells us that, that we, we think we have a better way, but it just ends in death. It doesn't go anywhere. So that's why God gives us his word, so we can follow it. We can be wise. But when you and I make the decision, we make the choice, I don't want to follow God's word. I know what it says, but I don't want to do that. That is when sin comes into the picture. And that is when all of a sudden, pain and suffering and sorrow and hurt can come into our lives. When we disregard the truth of God's word, when we step out of it and step in our own way, step in the cultural way, step in what the world says, guess what's happening? We're having problems. And pain and suffering come along with that. But what Jesus is trying to tell us here is, yes, there are times when you and I, we, we, make, we make a choice. We, can, we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. But Jesus is sitting here trying to tell these disciples, not everything wrong in your life is a direct connection, a direct correlation, a direct result because you're sinning. 
And if you've had that as a, a handicap in your life, I want to tell you, you need to let that go. It doesn't mean you don't examine your life. It doesn't mean that you and I, you know what? If we do have sin in our life, guess what we need to do? We need to confess that. We need to get, God, forgive me. We want to repent. We want to turn from that. But if, if you are that person who have, you've gone through your life and every time you, you, know, you have a crisis in your life, every time pain comes into your life, every time you start to suffer, every time you start to hurt, something's going wrong in your life and you equate it immediately to, I must be sinning. There may not be any sin there. It just happens. But if to blame ourselves all the time, Jesus is trying to tell these disciples it's not the case. It is not necessarily always because of sin. But now here's where it really gets going. Here's the second thing. Our pain is an opening for the work of God to be displayed. Now, this is where Jesus really gets to the issue of the pain in this man's life. Because I don't know about you, I think being blind from birth, and this guy's an adult, that'd be a lot of pain. Not physical pain, but that's suffering. I've been blind from birth, and now I'm an adult. I have been blind my entire life. And Jesus is saying to these guys, he did not sin. His parents didn't sin. But look at what Jesus says. So in verse 3, it says, It was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. That the work of God might be displayed in him. Suffering, pain, trials, the fiery trial, all that stuff comes into our lives. One can be because you and I sin, like we've just said. We can do things to bring it in. Two, it is just a natural result of the fall. Sickness, illness, disease, disability. It may not be the result of somebody and it may not even be God doing it. It just simply, guess what? It is the outflow of living in a sinful, fallen world. When Adam and Eve sinned, death came in. When Adam and Eve sinned, sickness and pain and sorrow and disease, all of it has come into the world. And so guess what? There are times that things happen to us simply just because of that. But then there's a third reason. And this is a reason where a lot of people get bent out of shape on. God's allowing it. God's allowing the pain in your life for a reason. He's allowing the trial into your life. He's letting it happen to you. And I'm telling you, that's where a lot of people get their feathers ruffled because I especially think as Americans, we love to raise our hand and our banner with privileged. We're Americans and we're privileged. And, and, and let's just be honest. We, we live in, 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 in a country that, that tells us we can have the American dream. We're conditioned to believe life should be prosperous. Life should be good. Life should be happy. And we are conditioned with that because, you, I mean, you, you, you hear people coming into the country and you'll hear, you'll hear people in this country say to them, if you just work hard, you will achieve the American dream. And the American dream is actually, I mean, it's not, it's not something, 
the American dream is really something big. It's, it's prosperity. It's, it's, it's life is good. And, and you can have what you want. And you can live how you want. That's that. It's out there. But here's the problem. That mentality creeps into the church. And so we, even with, as Christians, guess what we think? I should have life good. Sure, I'm going to hit a few roadblocks around and a few speed bumps, but overall, life as a believer should be always good. We hear, we hear preachers say this. You should be prosperous. You should always be healthy. You should really have no issues and no problems. Life should always be good. I mean, we, we, we believe that God is good. We teach that. But we equate God is good to, well, God should always bring goodness in my life. And God should never bring any. So when we hear that God will allow something painful in your life, some Christians get bent out of shape. And they don't want to hear that. Because we've been so conditioned to believe, I should be okay. I should always be comfortable. Nothing should really go wrong. But here's the thing. Here's what you and I need to understand. Notice it says that the work of God can be displayed. That key displayed is the key word, okay? In fact, the word displayed means this. It means to cause something to be fully known by revealing clearly and in some detail. So what, that, what that's saying is Jesus, when he says that the work of God can be displayed in this man, he's like... God's going to do something in this blindness that he's had from birth that this guy will not be able to go, I did that. It's going to be, God's going to display something so powerful in this guy's life that he will not be able to walk away and go and not be able to go, only God did that. God wants to display in our life. And do you want to hear, and listen, can, truthful time, guys. I'm just going to be truthful time. It's church. Can I be truthful in church? God cannot display his work if your life is always comfortable. God cannot display his work if you have everything that life can give you. God can, cannot display his work if you have no need for him. Do you want to know when God displays his work? When you're in pain. He displays your, his work when you don't have an answer. He displays his work when, when, when you're, you're at a point and you don't know what to do. You're, he displays your work when you've exhausted all your energy and all your resources. You've done everything you can. You've maxed yourself out and you have nowhere to go. You see, we see this time and time again in scripture that God displays his best work when people are at their wits end. Look at Abraham in the book of Genesis. Abraham was 75 years old when God called him and gave him a promise. Abraham, you, I'm going to give you children and you're going to become a great nation. That's awesome. But Abraham was 75 with no children. How are you going to have more children if you don't have any children? And so God made that promise at the age of 75. And it wasn't until he was 99 that he actually became the father of Isaac, the blessed 
child. Romans says that Abraham looked at his body and it was as good as dead. How many of you, when you're 99, none of, I mean, we don't have, how many of you are 70, older than 70? I know I'm calling you out. You're older than 70, okay? You're older than 70. Now picture, imagine if God came to you and said, hey, you're going to have a child. Would you be like, giddy up? Or would you be like, it's not happening. Okay, that's where Abraham was. And God displayed his work. God did this time and time with the nation of Israel when they first came out of Egypt. And they uh, come to the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is behind them. They can't go forward and they can't go back. They're stuck. And what's God do? He displays his work. How? By parting the Red Sea and making a highway through it. When they're in the desert and they are crying out, we are thirsty and we're going to die. We have no water. And they come to this oasis with a body of water and they drink and they're like, ah, it's bitter. We can't drink it. And God displays his work by turning it sweet. When they're in the desert and they're running out of food and they're hungry, God displays his work by providing manna from heaven and quail to come up out of somewhere in the middle of the desert. When they come to Jericho, First, the Jordan is flooded, and God parts the Jericho so they can go across it. And then they come to Jericho, and God displays his work again by bringing down the impenetrable wall. God displays his work with David out on a battlefield, but not as a warrior, but as a young little teenage boy, somewhere around maybe 12 or 13 years old. And, and he goes out before the great Philistine warrior Goliath. And David is just wrapped in like a loincloth with no armor, no nothing, except a stone, a few stones, and, and a sling. And Goliath, the giant, the battle-worn guy, comes out decked out in his armor, his armor bearer before him. And David runs out, and he's, he knows God's going to display right now. And God displays his work by killing Goliath with David. He displays his work with Elijah. If you go to 1 Kings chapter 17, you'll see this. Elijah is told by God that there's going to be a drought, a famine. Nobody's getting anything. But he doesn't take Elijah, who was the prophet of God, and go, hey, I'm going to go put you up in a nice um, hotel in this town out of this thing. He goes, nope, nope, nope. I'm going to put you right smack in the middle of this, uh, Elijah, and you're going to thirst. But here's what I want you to do. There's this little brook, and I want you to go live by it. How many of you like to camp? How many of you just like, nope, that's not me? Okay, there was no hotel, there was no house, there was no shack. It was him laying on the dirt by this little brook that could, I mean, like, how many of you know what Poke Creek is? Okay, there's the Poke Creek, it just runs outside of, you know, outside of Alpha. Poke Creek is running through here, and he, he's living by it, and that's where he's drinking the water. And then there's some birds, some ravens, twice a day, a little bit of meat in the morning, a little bit of meat in the evening, and that was it. He wasn't eating high on the hog, but God was providing, God was displaying his work. But then when the, when the brook dries up, and he realizes, I don't have any more water, God tells him, hey, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. There's a town called Zarephath. I want you to go there, Elijah. And I'm going to provide a widow to take care of you. 
Now, you're that, well, what's wrong with that? Because a widow would have been considered a second-class citizen. She wouldn't have been she, revered in the community. She would have had nothing. Why not, hey, I'm going to take you to the rich man in Zarephath, and he will take care of you. No, to a widow, and he shows up, and he's like, hey, are you the widow? Because I'm thinking you are, and hey, give me some, something to eat. And the widow's like, dude, I have nothing. In fact, I'm collecting a few sticks. I got a little bit of you know, meal at home, and I'm going to make one more meal for my son and myself, and then we're going to die because we have nothing to eat. But God shows up and displays his work, and he provides for the boy, he provides for the woman, and he provides for Elijah until it's all done. In the Gospels, in John chapter, and here in the book of John, we saw Jesus feed the mass of people with a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. Let me ask you, if those people were not hungry, would that miracle have ever happened? No. It was because they were hungry. It was because they had no food. And Jesus shows up and the work of God is displayed when they had absolutely nothing. You see, that's how the work of God is displayed in our life. It's not going to happen. Let me ask you, is the work of God displayed in a person who has no need for God, who thinks they're righteous, they're going to get to God, or is it displayed in the person who is so broken and they're like, they're almost shamed to go to God because they look at their life and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm so miserable. I'm so unworthy. That's the person where the work of God is displayed in because they get it. And God shows up in that person's life and they're like, oh my gosh, I see it. I need Jesus. And boom, that person comes to Christ displayed in a mighty way. Is the work of God displayed in your finances when, when you have a ton of money or when you're, when, when, when you're looking at going, how are we paying the bill? The work of God is displayed. The work of God, is it displayed in your body when it's always healthy? Or when you're looking at cancer? It's always in the pain. The work of God is displayed marvelously when we don't know what to do. We don't know where it's coming from. Last Sunday, I, I, I came up here and I presented, you know, showed you all kind of where we were financially, showed you several weeks, and, and, I, said, and I showed you that even the prior weeks right before that, that we were really tight. And, and I said, hey, we, we need to believe today for a $5,000 offering. And I can tell you, some of you God-fearing people looked at me and thought I was nuts because some of those people are in my small group. <laughs> Godly people looked at me and said, no, we didn't believe you, man. But I stood here, and I'm like, today, we are going to believe God for $5,000. And all those numbers, there was nothing to indicate that would ever happen. Now, if you haven't looked at your bulletin yet, God brought in $5,200. That's a display of God. When, you know... When you're looking at, I don't know where we're going. How does this work? I have no idea. God displays his work. And listen, the same God that worked in these people's lives, he's the same God for you today. His work is always displayed in our pain. Because that's when you see. Because I'm telling you, when God shows up in a way and he displays his work that you can't take any credit for it, who gets all the glory? He does.
does. Because you're sitting there going, that should never have happened. I don't know how that happened. How in the world, God, we just... The display of God's work shows up. And about the time you think it's impossible, this can't change, I don't know how, I... God displays his work. And that's what Jesus wanted these men to realize, that God was going to display his work. Here's number three. Our pain is an avenue for us to mature and exercise our faith. It's an avenue to mature and exercise our faith. So Jesus is saying that that God's going to display his work in this guy's life. Now, if you look at verse 4, Jesus says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, there's some things there that that you read that and you're like, Ah, that doesn't make much sense. What's he saying here? When he's talking about being the light of the world, like he says, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But don't we say that he is still the light of the world? What he's saying is when he's talking about doing the work that he notice he says, we must do the works of God while it is daytime. He's like, night's coming. I am the light of the world while I'm in the world. What he's talking about, he's like, when I am presently with you, you are seeing the manifestation of the literal light of God in your life. He, he, he's like, while I am here, you're going to see some works of God that would just blow you away. And he's like, while I am here, it's daylight. While I'm here, my light is shining and we are going to see some amazing works of God done. He goes, but there's going to come in the time where darkness is coming, night is coming, and no one will work. The night that he's referring to is his crucifixion. He's like, there's going to come a day though, boys, that I will be gone. My physical presence, the physical light of of, of the glory of God is going to be gone because I will be out of this place. And the night he is re- he, he's, he's crucified is when the ministry, his ministry with the disciples is done. He raises and he ascends back to heaven. And when he says it's going to be night and no one works again, he's talking about the fact that those apostles will not do work with him again. Because when Jesus was with those 12, sure, they did some things, but who primarily did the work? Jesus. When they couldn't cast out a demon, Jesus was like, come here, cast out the demon. You know, when, when, when he was asking the guys, how are we going to feed these people? He was like, I don't know. He's like, oh, let me show you. He did the work. They got to experience that. But when he's gone, now they're going to have the light of the Holy Spirit leading them. And now guess what these men are going to have to do? When Jesus is gone, the church is birthed. The apostles and the early Christians learned to live by what word? What do you think it was? Faith. Because Jesus was, they didn't need, while Jesus was there, they didn't have to exert a lot of faith. Jesus would pick up the pieces and do it. Now he's gone. Now they're going to have to walk by faith. These disciples, these early Christians, They're going to start moving the church forward. And guess what they're going to have to learn to do? They're going to have to live by faith. They're going to have to learn to walk by faith. They're going to have to give by faith. They're going to have to do the works by faith. Here's the thing. The work they continued to do, the serving and everything, advancing the church was under persecution. 
They were persecuted by the Romans. They were persecuted by by non-Jewish people. They were persecuted by people all around them. And so even through the persecution, through the pain, guess what they had to keep doing? Exercising and maturing and believing and walking by faith. Let me ask you, is it any different for you and me? Any of you just have Jesus showing up in your, your home going, come on, let's go do some work? Or are you living by faith? Romans chapter 1, verse 17 says, the righteous will live by faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. Because I'm telling you, you see things that seem impossible, but it's got to be by faith that we walk these things. We live by faith. We walk by faith. It is no different for you and I today. Through our trials, our storms, our struggles, through our pain, you got to live by faith. You walk by faith. It's trusting God when you don't know and you don't have the answer. It's trusting God when you see the impossible. It's trusting God when, when they're, how, how, are we, how are we doing to do that? I have no idea how we're going to do it. Let's trust God. Here's the thing about pain. Pain will either break you or it'll build you. There's a lot of Christians who go through the pain and they're broken meaning they quit. It's too much. Can't handle it. Don't want it. They walk away. Other Christians, they get hit by the pain. And then all of a sudden, they start to believe God. They start to realize, I can't do this. There's no, nothing we can do. And they start to trust God. You see, there's something about pain that, that gets you to a point. If, if, if you allow pain, the trial, to do the work in you, I'm telling you, it will transform you. Because here's what pain does. When you don't have the answer, when you don't know, how, you know, how are we paying the bill? How's the, how, how's the, the health condition going to be, be, be treated? How, how's my kids coming back? I, I don't have the answer. Here's what it does. Here's what pain does. It causes you to fall on your face before God. You get, you get before God real fast. It causes you to get into the word and you start finding out and you're like, I'm going to see what God did before. And you start looking at, hey, God's di God did this and God did that and God worked here. And all of a sudden, it causes something to well up in you. It is called faith. It is a trust. It, and, and I'm telling you, pain exercises... Spiritual pain is the same as physical pain when it comes to like exercise, okay? If, if you want to get stronger physically, okay, and, and let's say like, you know, you want to learn to bench press and you want to go, I want to learn to bench press 100 pounds. You're not going to put two pounds on there and go, this is easy. I can do this all day long. And you'll learn to just keep punching two pounds all day long. You're going to have to put 80 pounds on there. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, that's heavy. And you keep trying to push it. You keep pushing it, keep pushing it. Before you know it, you're able to push 100 pounds. Faith in God is no different. I'm telling you, the more you experience pain and the more you learn to trust God, it almost becomes a knee-jerk reaction. Doesn't mean you never, I mean, never worry. Doesn't mean you never have your doubts. Nope. Because there's always that, the enemy's always going to play, you know, God's not coming through on this one. And you always have that doubt back there. 
But something happens, the more you go through a trial, the more the pains and, and the more you exercise that faith, there's something that just seems to click. God, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't know where it's coming from, but I, I, I trust you. God, I just trust you. You've, you. I've seen you do this before. I've seen you do this before. I've seen you move here before. So this is no different. So God, I'm going to let you be God and you do what you need to do. I trust you. That's faith. And pain exercises that. You're not going to grow in faith if God lets your life be always be comfortable. You're never going to grow and trust God if nothing ever goes wrong. God wants us to get to a place where we trust him. Beyond everything, above anything, God, we trust you. That's where he wants us to be. And so our pain is an avenue to exercise that faith. Here's the fourth thing. Our pain doesn't dictate the method of how God works. My pain, however, whatever it is, it's not going to dictate what God does, how, and when. Because if you look at verse 6 now, it says, Having said these things, he spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed, and he came back, seeing. So I sat there and read that. I'm like, well, that's a little bit funky and weird and different. I mean, why did Jesus not like he does in so many other times? Hey, do you want to see? Yes, I do. Then see. Why did he just not come up to the man and go, I want your eyes to be open and I want you to see? Why did he not just lay his hands on him and go, in the name of myself, be healed? You get that? A lot of people say, you lay hands on, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Jesus would say, in the name of myself, be healed. Why go through all of this? Now, here's my most biblical theological answer I can give you. I don't know. I don't know why Jesus changed it up. Here's when it comes to faith and trusting God. It is, not my it is not my responsibility as a believer to, to figure out God's method of what he will do. It is just my responsibility to trust him. It is not my, my responsibility to figure out when he will do it, how he will do it, where he will do it. How's that? I, that is not my responsibility. My responsibility simply is to go, God, I trust you. I trust that you are God alone. You are the great I am. God, I trust that you're bigger than this problem. God, I trust that you will do what is absolutely best. God, I will trust even if you choose not to heal me, I will still trust you. God, I will trust you. And I'm not going to bend you in any way. I'm not going to coerce you in any way. I'm not going to demand you in any way. You are God alone and I am not. So God, I trust you. That is is this, okay? I'm sure this guy could have been like, you know what, I heard about you healing that guy who was paralyzed for 38 years. He was a friend of mine. You know, his name was Earl, and, and I don't understand. You, you didn't tell Earl to get up and go wash in the pool. You just healed him, and he got up and walked away. Why do I have to walk to the pool? I'm still blind, and I'm gonna have to walk to the pool. He could have made all kinds of excuses. I know, you like that, don't you, Kara? But Jesus does something different with this guy. He spits on the ground, number one, and makes mud. Rubs it on the guy's eyes. Really? 
Why? Why can't you just like, dude, why do I got to have spit mud on my eye? Why can't you just say, let me be open? But now I got spit mud in my eye and I still can't see and I got to have, where's the pool? Where's the pool? I got to get to the pool. He didn't complain. He says he went, washed, was healed. That guy did only one thing. What was it? Believe, faith, trust. He believed Jesus. Okay. If I got to go to the pool, if you tell me I'm going to go and I'm going to get healed, I'll trust you. I don't, it's unconventional what you did. I don't understand the method of how you did it, but I will go and I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust. This is what you and I need to remember. God will not work in the same way he works in all of us. He may work in my life differently than he will you. So you can't look at my life and go, well, God, you did that for, for Jim and Paula. Why don't you do that for us? Different method. And, and you can't look at your life and go, well, God, you did it th- this way three times in my life. Why are you not doing it this time? Different method. You need to leave how God works up to God. You just need to worry about, do you trust him and let him be God? And then lastly, our pain is an opportunity for us to bring glory to God. So the guy goes, he's healed, he's seeing in verse 8, it says the neighbors and those who had seen him before, so, as, who saw him before as a beggar, was saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. And others said, no, it's someone like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. And so they said to him, how is it that your eyes are open? And he answered, the man they called Jesus. He made mud, anointed my eyes, and he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. I went and I washed and received my sight. He's like, man, it was this guy by the name of Jesus. He did it for me. Here's what he told me to do, and I did it, and now all I know is I'm seeing. He was the awesome one. And the people were all confused. They didn't didn't know what was going on, but this guy only had one conclusion. The guy they call Jesus. He did it for me. He's the one who did this in my life. Isn't that what... The God displaying things in our life, isn't that the purpose of our lives then? Is to display the glory of God in it? To be able to go, I don't understand, but God, I trust you. When someone asks you, hey, how's, the, how's the, your health condition coming? I heard you were diagnosed with this. How's it coming along? You have a choice. Well, you know what? Life really sucks right now. I just hate it. I don't know what God's doing. This is stupid. Why do I got to go through this? Or you're like, you know what? I don't have an answer. And it's not really getting any better right now. But man, I'm trusting God. And I'm going to believe that he, and I don't know what his ultimate plan is. He may heal me, he may not. I don't know where it's going to end up. But I know one thing, I'm going to trust him all the way through this thing. You see, no matter what it is, finances, health, kids gone, whatever it may be, whatever I'm going through, you and I have a choice to make. Do I complain and gripe and moan and hate God about it, or do I give him glory through it? Do I let the pain be a source that can bring glory to God? You may not have the answer. You may not see the answer. You may not see anything moving. You may not feel anything, but the reality is faith We walk by faith and not by sight. You may not see it. You may not feel it. You may not know and understand. But the the whole thing is, can you trust God? 
That's where it boils down to, folks. Every time through your years, can you say, I have seen God be good. I have seen God work, and I'm going to keep trusting him. Because I'm telling you, the more you have to go through pain, if you let God be God, you will grow in that faith. And you will be able to just tell people, I have no idea. I don't know where the money's coming from. I don't know if the healing's coming. I don't know when my kid is going to come back. I don't have an answer for none of this stuff. But the only thing I do know, God is good and I can trust him. And that's what I'm banking on. Outside of that, you got to let it go. And you put all your eggs in the basket of faith and you trust God. And let him be God in whatever, however he chooses to answer it. And it may be a method that you have never even thought of. And let him be God in it. Amen? Let's all stand and get ready to close. We're going to close with the song, Waymaker. And I want to encourage you to sing this song with an attitude of faith. Maybe you're going through something this morning. Finances, health, you've got adult children not living for God, and maybe you're just like, your faith has just been really just beat up. And maybe you've just been like, I got faith just, I mean, I can't even bench press two pounds of faith right now. That's okay. But I would encourage you to sing this song with just an attitude of faith that says, I'm going to sing this song even though when I don't see it, I don't feel it. I don't, I don't know what's happening, but I know God's my way maker. And by faith, I'm going to sing this song. So let's sing.